0: Welcome to A Little Bit Radical, a business podcast from Standing on Giants. I'm Rob, your host. Join me as I meet people and organisations who are doing things differently, challenging the status quo and yes, might just be a little bit radical. In business, we all know that getting the right people in the right positions is key to our success. However, research shows that, in general, hiring is broken. If you're a woman, for example, you have to submit 30% more applications than a man to get through a CV screening. If you're a person of colour, it's even worse. You have to submit 50% more applications than your white counterparts. So how do we change this? Well, joining me today is Linnea Bywall, former psychologist and head of people and operations at Alva Labs, a platform helping businesses reduce bias and improve the hiring process for both candidate- and employer. Linnea, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here.
0: Great. So we start with a little bit radical you. So if you are a little bit radical and you're on this podcast, so you are, uh, we've decided already that you are, what do you think in your <laughs> early life has set you up for that?
1: I was uh, thinking about this and yesterday and I realised, obviously, in my mind, I'm not radical at all because... I'm used to me, but I guess uh, people from the outside might uh, think differently. So we'll take the outside perspective, I guess. So when I was younger, I, was, I ran track and field. So I was running the hundreds and the 200s and the 400s. And my coach, Peter, uh, uh, was a psychologist. And he was uh, the most radical person I knew. When he was active himself, he used a gin bottle as a water bottle just to freak people out. So I thought he was so cool and I wanted to be like him. And he was a psychologist, so I obviously had to be one of those. And then when I uh, joined the psychologist program, I realized that, I mean, I had no clue what a psychologist actually did. And it turns out that they just listen to people. And I like talking way more than I like listening. So that was a you know terrible match. And so I realized I had to do something different with that degree. And quite early on, found a love for industrial and organizational psychology, where I realized that you could, you know, talk and be a psychologist uh, and impacting business rather than um, helping people, I guess. Uh, so I... Um, P- Try to pursue that uh, as a career. Realized that the most common way to to work as an industrial organizational psychologist is as a, um, a consultant, often having like your own company. And I'm way too much of an extrovert, again, like talking too much uh, to have to have that. So I uh, found HR where I could kind of benefit from both being a psychologist and learned. You know that I knew about people and how people work and how you can uh, impact behaviors and stuff like that but also got to talk a lot. Uh, so here I am 35, uh, 35 years later, uh, thir- three and a half years later, uh, feels like 35 sometimes, um, but now I am the head of people as you said at Alva Labs um, pretending to know stuff about HR, uh, pretending to know stuff about uh, psychology and hopefully finding good mix to create something hopefully a little bit radical in in the field of of HR and hiring.
0: Fantastic. Um, What an interesting background you have. And uh, there's a couple of things that uh, that occurred to me and with other people we're speaking to on this podcast. So the unusual collision of things, so your psychology background, but then with your extroversion and trying to find, you know, and often with the kind of collision of things that don't quite seem to fit, that's when something a little bit radical can happen. Would you say that's fair with you?
1: I, I think that's a great way to put it. I was a bit of an odd bird at the psychologist program uh, where, uh, I mean, I met fantastic people. I learned so much, but I was not like them. But hopefully I got the best of both worlds, meaning I can take some of the you know fantastic stuff from uh, psychology and the perspective of human beings and you know neural neuropsychology and all of that and then bring it into uh, to something else so I hope you're right
0: absolutely as you've gone through your your life and uh, and your career do you feel yourself becoming more radical or less radical
1: I guess more radical simply because it's a lot easier for me now to to know what I stand for it takes at least for me it took some some time to kind of find my place and you know my purpose what i believe in what matters to me and what i really like have a passion for and now that i'm exploring that more i think it's a lot easier to to stand for a clear standpoint before it was more i had ambitions but very much more like vague thoughts on who i was i guess uh, so definitely more radical with time so let's see where this ends
0: i think that's a great point i've i've found that personally as well as i've as i've got older and become surer of myself you are i suppose less afraid of being slightly outside of normal whatever that means outside of the status quo and you learn that you can be yourself and actually people respect you for that have you found the same thing
1: yeah and i think like maybe jumping in with a, a psychologist's point of view here. I think it's really interesting. And a couple of years back, because now when you mentioned normal, like uh, when we talk about normal in like psychology, we often use the, the bell curve of normal distribution. So uh, either Google it if you haven't heard of it, uh, or just picture a like hill. Uh, it's flat in the, in the beginning and then it goes up and then it goes down on the other side. That's like the distribution of most traits in, in like in human traits. And if you back things up a few years, the normal span were actually like wider. The more research has uh, evolved, the more we learn about like the human behaviors and such. The the normal uh, is actually shrinking, and then I mean like more and more people are actually being like diagnosed for different things. So the norm is actually getting slimmer and slimmer, which I find like really, really interesting. So I guess there will be more people for you to in- interview on this podcast as we, as we progress, because more and more people will be considered radical and different from the rest.
0: That's a great perspective. I love that. And I think you're right. I think, I mean, the whole reason that we wanted to start this podcast was that we didn't feel that being at least a little bit radical. We kind of feel like almost everyone is a little bit radical we want to kind of encourage people to embrace that about themselves and you know help people realize their slightly radical ideas because it's an exciting place to be let's move on to your work now and how you've been a little bit radical uh, perhaps in your work so you work for uh, alva labs which is a platform helping people hire the best people right and you are head of yes. people for that company does that feel like a lot of pressure <laughs>
1: I think... The, <laughs> I was discussing this with, with a, uh, a fellow head of people person yesterday. I am an expert in hiring, working for a company that is an expert in hiring. Meaning, it's hard for me to look good because everyone already knows my tricks. <laughs> but it does put a lot of, of pressure, I guess. I uh, really want us to like, lead by example as a company. Uh, meaning like we help others recruit better and therefore we obviously need to be like the best so i have really really high standards for our ways of working and we actually have like the the mission for me and my like hr team is actually that we want our team to be the pitch for the company where we can actually use the company to show that the product is working if you uh, if you want so uh, i guess it's uh, a lot of weight on my shoulders to not uh, to not fail.
0: <laughs> yes, of course, yeah, yeah. But I think that's the best way the best way to be. Like you can't do your work authentically if you if you think you're doing something different to uh, what the company promises to your clients, you know, and your customers. So I think that's fantastic. What would be your the top elements of your hiring process for your own team? Talking about that and how you you know intent on that being best practice. What are the the top End. elements that right. you think are a little bit different a little bit different, a little bit perhaps a little bit radical to the way that companies traditionally hire?
1: Yeah, great question. I think one aspect is that we are very obsessed with data uh, and like doing the process in a data-driven way from start to finish. That means that like early on, like when we try to find out like what is it that we're hiring for, we actually set up what we called a like combined role fit page where we, based on what we're looking for, design the process, like what uh, method should we use in what way to best assess the traits that we are looking for. And we actually put a number on each method where we decide like a weight to each method. So say that the uh, interviews that we're using, they should weigh in like 20 or 30% of the overall decision. The work sample test that we uh, use, that should weigh 15% of the overall decision and so forth. So we have looked the way that we run the process and how we make decisions before we even like tell the world that we're looking for for a new coworker i think that's one thing that i at least in my experience see very rarely in other companies but it's such a like powerful way to at the end of the process rely on we had an an example just like the other week where we had like two final candidates that had gone through the process and I was discussing the performance of their uh, work sample test, which is the final step of the process in that case. And they had really like liked one candidate better in the case. Uh, and then we could back trace the overall performance, so that we wouldn't you know rely too much on our gut feeling in just one situation, because we had measured a bunch of things, and that actually then impacted who got the job in the end, because we could see like the overall picture in a like, much more data driven way. So I guess that's one aspect of how we do things—a little bit radical. The second thing, which is quite obvious based on based on the company that I work for, is I mean we we sell psychometric um, assessments, so personality and logic assessments. We use that as the very very first step of our hiring process. Historically, that has been very uh, unusual, but it is like based on research, based on uh, experience from a lot of companies, ours uh, as just one example, is helping us hire in a much more fair, transparent, efficient and like accurate way. So when a candidate applies for a job at Alva, they will answer a few like screening questions and then they don't have to send in a cover letter, they don't have to send in a resume, but they will automatically be sent a personality test and a logic test. And based on those two aspects, we will then move forward with the candidates that are most suitable for the job based on who they are, rather than like what they have done before. Because if we look at what research tells us about hiring, the common way to hire is to look at, you know, years of experience, previous positions, what industry have you been in? Those aspects, they say something about how someone will perform on the job, but very, very, very little. And they're still like today gatekeepers for the majority of organizations out there. So we try to kind of flip that around and focus on the person in the first part of the process. And then we can focus more on like skill, like hard skills later in the process. Uh, so I guess that could be seen as a little bit radical too.
0: That sounds very radical. So your your data backs up that those markers like years of experience are, are actually, I'm guessing, like a bad way of getting candidates through a first stage of a, of a hiring process? Is that... Is that fair?
1: That's exactly right. And that's not just our data. That's actually like meta studies from like actual scientists looking at research from like 100 years of studies uh, for like across industries, across countries, where years of experience actually correlates very poorly with uh, job performance. Uh, But it's easy, right? It's really easy to read how long has someone been a manager. But I think the... The obvious example is if we think about experience. Say someone has been a manager for five years. They could have been the worst manager alive, but they still have the experience, right, to apply for the next job. Or if we take um, education, for instance, if you think back to like all the people that you studied with, would you hire all of them? I'm yet to meet someone that screams yes to that question. Uh, but on paper, you're the same. So I think it's it's very intuitive to understand that it doesn't help but still we we use it because it's such a simple measurement of something and we have to measure something right otherwise we're not doing our job as recruiters but I would argue that your like the, the gap between theory and practice is so wide when it comes to to HR in general but in recruitment particularly and if I may like use an example that I find funny, say that you're like head of marketing and you're going to decide how you're going to, you know, spend your marketing budget and you have data that backs up that, you know, the webinars that you're running, they're performing really, really poorly. You're not getting leads. It's not converting. It's not helping the sales funnel. But you love webinars. So you're going to continue to do them anyway. I mean, no marketeer would ever fall into that trap. But that's how recruitment works way too often. Like, we have data that we don't really look at because we think that we know because we we know people. And that's just fooling ourselves because it's really, really hard to assess individuals. We're really poor at it, actually.
0: I mean, you're just you're blowing my mind, Linnea. That's so, it's so interesting. <laughs> um, I mean, by the way, as a head of marketing, I'm pretty sure there are plenty of marketers who do exactly the mistake that you that you say by not the way really? uh, yeah that they really like an activity and so or everyone else is doing that activity so we've got to do this you know without actually looking at the data or or at least um trusting a or at least believing in a process really like even if you're not getting immediate results really having a look at that process and what that's trying to achieve there's just very um sort of hyper focus on goals and achieving goals as quickly as possible and that leads to some pretty shoddy practices I think it sounds like in in hiring everyone's just kind of following the crowd this is the way everyone does it but exactly but it's broken and you've got a more it sounds a far more robust way of of doing this
1: yeah I mean I think so and 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 I think I have hired like I was number 14 into this company and now we're uh, like plus 75 people just over the last like year and a half we have had almost like 7000 candidates applying for positions uh, at Alva, which is, you know, amazing and absolutely fantastic. But there's no way I could me and my team could have made like sound hiring decisions if we didn't have like data driven, evidence based tools to actually help us, we would be completely blind. So yeah, it's uh, a lot easier.
0: (laughs) That's a really interesting point as well. So that's a A situation we've run into at Standing on Giants as well, where we have you know, hundreds of applicants for one position, and in a, a small company, there's a huge workload that goes goes along with um, with going through those applications, and uh, and I suppose that that's when it's easy to start relying on these kind of old old systems, and uh, you know, and um, and kind of not not use a more robust method. Where I'm going with this is I'd like to talk to you about gut feel in hiring and instincts. And I imagine that a lot of hiring decisions are made on a gut feel and instinct, maybe from a from a psychologist's point of view and then from a, um, you know, from a professional point of view. What is gut feel? Actually, what is instinct and should we trust it or should we not?
1: I mean, you can define it in a like different way, but I think one way to define it is our uh, combination of experience and knowledge, like things that we have uh, experienced in the past, will le- uh, help us kind of like view the world. I see it as like everyone will put on different glasses and view the world through their, their individual lenses. And their gla- like, the glasses are designed by who they are, uh, their like individual traits, but also their their past. So we can be you know ten people experiencing the same situation, but we experience it through these lenses. And since the lenses will impact what we pick up on and not, we will all have a different experience of that uh, situation. So the gut feeling can be, I guess, summarized as your past experiences and how that impacts your attitude towards a situation, a person, a um, you know piece of performance or whatever. And, and as you said, I think this is one of the biggest challenges in, in hiring. So, so moving over to the uh, professional <laughs> perspective of this, I guess. I mean, I've studied psychology for, for seven years. Uh, I've worked with recruitment for almost 10 years now. I'm really, really bad at assessing individuals because I'm human and the human brain simplifies things. I mean, if you think about it, like if you go to a, a mingling event, uh, whether you hate it or not, that's <laughs> but depending on who you are, but still you're there, you're going to mingle and obviously you're going to very, very quickly make an assumption about someone based on how they look, based on how they talk, based on how they approach you. And why are we doing this? Because it's great for our survival. So, like back in the days, we had to make like really snap judgments because it, you know, impacted how how um, like, who would live or not. And you know, you, no one will die from a mingling event, but we still have the same brain as our ancestors. So we do this like snap judgments uh, so that we can, instead of wondering like who is this person, we can focus on the conversation, and. The same brain on the mingling event is the same brain in the like interview process, in the uh, CV screening process in hiring. So we make very, very fast judgments based on pieces of information that we will value very, very differently based on who we are. And this causes like the, uh, the stats that you mentioned in the beginning. Like women have to send in 30%, 30% more applications Because, not because people don't like women, not because organizations don't want to hire women, but because the kind of norm around, like, who's a good performer often involves a lot of, like, male attributes. And this is not a, like, conscious decision, but it's something that kind of just, like, we have with us and we don't even realize it. So these biases will impact what we view are like, a good candidate versus a not good candidate. People that are very similar to you uh, will be another good example where we, we tend to like people that have made the same choices as ourselves because that you know confirms our way of living. So if you uh, meet a candidate that you know I'm an ex-runner, if I meet a candidate that also a runner, instant love. If they're also an extrovert, <laughs> even more love. Whether if they met someone, uh, another recruiter that hated running and uh, was more of a listener than I am, then we would judge or assess that person very differently. So it creates a very unfair situation where people are judged by attributes that doesn't really matter, that are actually even like illegal to base your hiring decisions on. So I mean it's illegal to to discriminate about like based on gender, based on age, based on ethnicity. but those things are still very, very real because we are humans. Uh, and that's what fascinates me is that people really have high ambitions when it comes to diversity and inclusion, but they're still, you know, blocking themselves when it comes to hiring.
0: Yeah. Oh, what a fantastic answer. There's probably more efforts around diversity and inclusion than there's there's ever been at the moment. Um, unconscious bias training is a is a popular is a popular thing. From what you were saying, is unconscious bias training doomed to fail because there's something so embedded in how we are as humans that we will always make those value judgments, no matter how much we try and override our our kind of lizard brain, you know? And do we need do we need something else to to support those decisions?
1: Yeah, the, I'm going to make some enemies now. Sorry, uh, but yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Um, research actually shows that you know bias training it can be good for awareness so that you actually have like buy-in to to drive the real processes and initiatives that you need to do but it doesn't actually change something because a awareness training can never change the uh, design of the human brain and it's not that you know we want to do these things but even when we are aware of it, we can't take off these like, glasses where we see the world through we, we can't so great for awareness but it should only be for awareness because then you have to get to actual work when it comes to diversity and inclusion
0: of course yeah and so we need other support you know we need other other support to help us make those decisions and i imagine that you uh, you know ob- obviously you work for a technology solution is uh, technology the answer Um, Or do we need other things as well to help us?
1: I think it's part of the answer. I think the the beauty with technology is that technology doesn't care what gender you have, what, you know, your last name is, how old you are. It will treat everyone the same. And that's the beauty. And that's how it can help. But it's not like necessarily a silver bullet that solves everything. So you can, you know, sit home and, and relax and do nothing else. Diversity and inclusion, like hiring is... Like hiring in a data-driven way is one aspect, but then it's the whole like creating very transparent policies, uh, working with your culture, working with like psychological safety, uh, and that needs to be done. You know, I guess human to human to some exp- in some instances. So it's an aid, yes, that we need, uh, but it's not the full picture.
0: Of course, I suppose the way, where my brain goes with that is that if we don't change how we think about hiring about our institutions about what we should be valuing then we will just deploy a technology which confirms what we thought before right so we do need to we do need to think about it first and then uh, use technology in an in an ethical way to support us um overcoming our, sh- our our shortcomings
1: i mean and i guess that's the the radical part in it where you need to do something differently and i think it's hard to go into a an area like such as recruitment and say like we're doing it all wrong here's how you should do it but it's actually very true uh, but maybe not always so popular
0: (laughs) well that's a great point and i think brings us it brings us onto a a good next question what advice would you give to hiring managers or or other professionals in in businesses where they want to introduce this slightly radical change for getting buy-in what's the what's the best approach
1: i think i mean there's a bunch of different ways you can tackle this one thing is i think you need to use data so that you can show what is it that we can impact what's your you know uh, diversity numbers looking like today. How many like good hires are you actually making? I think we need to move away from just focusing on like time to hire, for instance, my worst hiring metric in the world, and more focus on like quality of hires. So how many people are performing well? How many people are staying on the job? And then setting out to change those aspects. So looking at data. And then I think it's about and like an easy exercise that I think all organizations, if they haven't already done it, should do it. It can take like 15 minutes. But that is to, to look at the process you're having today and just go in and try to see it with like intent in every activity as the guiding star. Like everything that you put into your process need to have a purpose. It needs to actually help you make good decisions. If we take like the cover letter for instance, if we have intent in every activity and we know that the cover letter, it's time consuming for the candidate, it's time consuming for the recruiter, and it tells us sorry but shit, uh, it doesn't help us actually make good decisions, then why are we doing it? If we say like some companies will have you know seven interviews in their their hiring process, if we again put on the like intent in every activity perspective and we know that after like three, maybe four interviews, you're just measuring the same thing over and over again. So you're wasting time. Then there's no point of keeping it. So I think having that mindset of like making everything count is super important. And then obviously like the, the third aspect I would uh, I would uh, advise people to, uh, to take in is structure. Adding like a structured process where you know what you're looking for, you know what way you're going to do it, you know what order you're going to do it, so that you can commit to giving every candidate the same chance. That means that you should have, you know, the same questions for all candidates. Uh, I mean, one good example now in this like hybrid way of working, don't have some interviews on site and some interviews via Zoom. It doesn't matter which one you pick, but you need to do the same. So introducing structure, and it can be you know, a massive project, but do one small iteration at a time. Try for like one process rather than like, oh, let's plan out this for a year and a half, but not get started. So I guess that would be my uh, my send home message to people structure
0: structure and put the little in the little bit radical you know a little piece at a time our ceo always likes to uh, tell us that old mantra how do you eat a mammoth one bite at a time Uh, which i've never quite understood but it ultimately means this right make start start and do one thing at a time Uh, because otherwise if you spend all the time planning by the time you've actually got the plan it's a completely overwhelming amount of work and you won't do it anyway right
1: yeah and the mammoth has gone bad it's rotten by then
0: Yes. Oh, great example. There we go. I get that metaphor uh, in a new way. So we're going to we're going to lift you out of the day to day now and we're going to turn our focus outwards to the world and hear about your ideas that are a little bit radical for the world. What's a change that you would like to see in the world at large that's a little bit radical?
1: What I would love to see is a redefinition of what talent is. As I see it, the, the old way of viewing talent is through a CV. It's uh, if you have gone to that school, if you have worked in that particular super cool uh, company, um, it's if you have that fancy title. And that's how you um, you know get the new opportunities. That's how you get to the next job and get uh, the next chance. And that just leaves So much like off the table because then it will be this small group of the society that will over and over again have the best chances. Because not everyone will be privileged to be able to go to that school or uh, will work at that company, but that's not necessarily meaning that they aren't as talented, as suitable for a certain job, can't make all the difference in the world. So if we could instead view talent as, you know, more uh, soft skills, more uh, attitude, more like traits, like who the individual is. I think that would not only benefit a wider uh, spread of the the candidate pool available on the market, it would also help companies like opening up their opportunities that they can uh, offer the world to so many more individuals. They would have a lot more to pick from. They wouldn't have to, uh, you know, spend as much time sourcing those candidates that everyone else is after, because you can actually find talent elsewhere. It would be a much more like efficient kind of job market where more people will have equal opportunities. We would actually be able to to drive the company performance in a much cooler way. I think one good statistic to throw in here, approximately 5% of the employees in an organization will stand for 26% of the outcome. So very, very few are actually creating a lot of the results for the organization. And to my point again, like that type of talent is not based on where you came from, where you grew up, like this color of your skin. It has nothing to do with that. It's so much more tied to who you are as an individual, your natural like way of behaving. And if you can understand like what is needed for this role in like the soft skill aspect and find that, then you will be miles ahead of your competitors. So I I, I just find it like fascinating how companies are, you know, fishing in the same tiny little pond where there's so much potential. And where there's so many people out there that are screaming for job opportunities, but that they never get the chance where they could be one of those 5%. So that's my uh, wish for the world, I guess.
0: That's wonderful. I'm with you on that one. And I like what you said. Uh, Well, I love that stat that 5% of an organization drive 25% of an outcome. From my experience, the ability to achieve outcomes, exactly like you say, Is not based on your personal even your personal ability to do things it's about your ability to move people and collaborate and activate people inspire people focus people all of those things and yeah the assumption that if you went to a top university or a top school you're gonna have more of those skills i think has been proven wrong Time and again, you only need to look at who's uh, (laughs) in those top positions to see that, right? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Linnea, I think we're going to leave it there. Thank you so much for joining us on the Little Bit Radical podcast. Do you have a final thing that you would like to say to our listeners? If they have a little radical idea, uh, what would you say to those people? If they've got a little little, uh, snippet of something that they'd like to make a change, what would you say to them?
1: Find someone that shares that passion so you can bounce ideas with someone. Uh, it's at least for me, I'm stupid when I can't think out loud with someone else. So that would be, would be one thing. And then try small, like start somewhere to try it out because you won't know unless you tried and it's just gonna take too much time. If you, again, over plan, the mammoth will rotten
0: uh, pretty much. Fantastic. Linnea, thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed it, please follow us on your podcast platform. If you'd like to appear on A Little Bit Radical or have an idea of someone we should speak to, please email podcast at standingongiants.com or get in touch with me on LinkedIn. You can search Rob Fawkes or search Standing on Giants and you'll find me there. Thank you very much and speak to you next time.